0: If you are tuning in today, you probably realize that it is the 100th episode that I have posted. Having, I believe, two years in the podcasting world, I have learned so much from this podcast. You know, the reason for starting this podcast, which was actually called Chatter with Steve when I began, was to challenge myself to learn more from people in the business world. Little did I know the uh, small goal of learning from others in the business world actually was much, much larger than I could have ever anticipated. Getting to know these people after talking to these people for 30, 45 minutes, one hour is what I would say is probably the same as going to lunch with someone. You know, this is sitting down and, and enjoying a podcast and, and a conversation that is kind of catered and geared toward a certain topic is is so much fun, especially when you are talking to people that have built very large businesses, written very well well respected books, or um, you know, or speakers or advisors or whatever it might be. These people that have a lot of experience in the business world around a certain topic. And you get to pick their brain about a certain um, category, uh, whether it's HR or, um, you know, uh, retail sales training or how to create an experience or whatever it might be. Getting to pick these guests brain about these certain topics is so educational for hopefully for you, but also for me as a small business owner. So on the 100th episode, I would like to celebrate, if you will, um, these 100 episodes that we have been able to produce and all of the guests that we have had. And I have picked my some of my favorite clips from uh, episodes that I have done with guests. We're going to talk about, you know, what the future of retail looks like. We're going to talk about some HR tips. We're going to talk about different marketing tips. We're going to talk about, uh, from the uh, owner of the Savannah Bananas, um, some different ideas around uh, friction points that customers might have. And finally, we will talk about how to be a personal brand for your business by a guest whose name is Ramon Ray, who wrote a book called The Celebrity CEO. So I hope as you listen to these uh, short clips today that you will get some of the best advice from these episodes that I thought was uh, so relevant to a family-owned retail business owner. I hope that you'll get uh, these clips and this advice and that uh, I will introduce each clip. So that way you'll kind of be clued in on the conversation if you haven't uh, heard the episodes before. And if you have, I think this is some of the best advice from each episode. So I hope you will listen anyways. Um, These are some of my favorite clips of all time out of our first 100 episodes of the Better Business Podcast. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Better Business Podcast, the podcast that helps you improve your family-owned retail business. My name is Steve Cook. I'm a third-generation business owner. And with the things I've learned and talk about on this show, I've taken my family's retail business to over $10 million in sales. Now let's get to the show. Bob Fibs, who goes by the name The Retail Doctor, is the first guest clip on our episode today. Bob and I talked about in this episode how not to be a showroom for Amazon. Bob is a... Retail advisor, consultant, whatever you would like to call him, and has been doing so for some of the largest brands uh, for over 25 years. Brands like Yamaha and and some of the, the largest companies, uh, Harley-Davidson, uh, Perina, I know he's done some work with and for, and he'll talk about on this clip. But what Bob believes is that retail is definitely changing, which I think all of us listening to or being on uh, this podcast would agree with, and that is that retail is not the uh, uh, minimum wage worker anymore. If you are going to survive in retail in 2022 and beyond, you have to have a different set of skills than perhaps you used to be able to have. And what Bob actually sells, the product that he sells is sales training. He believes that the retail uh, employee of the future will actually have to be a somewhat of a salesperson, and that you will not be able to just have cheap prices and good marketing, things like that, that you will actually have to create an experience for a customer and have very, very talented salespeople that are actually paid quite a bit of money. Um, these are kind of like the door-to-door salesmen of old. And so Bob talks about a little bit in this clip, how he believes that the salesperson of the future will actually behave.
1: I would just say I think we are we are seeing that employees want to be valued more than ever before. I think that in the future we're going to find that the retail salesperson is going to be a skilled uh, workforce. It's going to deserve a higher pay. It's not going to be the disposable anyone who doesn't have training, uh, can get a job. Because already, you know, you can do OnlyFans and strip for people. You can be an Uber driver. You could do DoorDash. But the, you know, when I grew up, long before you were born, my friend, the only shot when you were getting going to be an entrepreneur was maybe you'd go mow lawns or have a paper route or something like that. And then you'd start in retail because either that or you're going to be digging ditches. You're going to be doing something manual. And and we figured it out. That's kind of, you Mm. know, I... I always used to think what the hell am i doing in retail because i got my degree as a conductor you can park that there later but um and then suddenly you realize (laughs) wow all of this knowledge of how i've learned how psychology works when influencing people having fun in a brick and mortar store hey this is gonna be my thing great and then a lot of people move on into marketing or sales or their own business or they rise to c-level execs but they all learn those lessons in retail when they were figuring it out so for younger people, they grew up on the Food Network, Steve. So they learned everything was, it's three quarters of a tablespoon at you know two minutes. And th- everything was precise to get an Instagrammable picture. So they come into your mm-hmm. store and you're like, uh, go move that from there over there and fulfill this. And it's like, can I just have a lobotomy, please? And we don't treat them or train them when they're the most hopeful, educated group ever. And so the smart retailers are going like, holy crap, uh, what does this mean? And my final point is retail is a game of being brilliant on the basics. As you know, it's, yeah, you could do Mm -hmm. metaverse. I get it. You could uh, buy influencers. There's a million ways people will spend your money, right? But if it really comes down to it, it's really very small. How did somebody feel when they came in contact with you and your brand in your store? If you master that, life's great. If you miss that, you are pretty much a warehouse for other people's products. And you know what? There's always somebody cheaper.
0: So, talk to me about you said that retail is about sticking to the basics and, or, you know, doing the basics well, I guess. And I completely agree with that. Do you think that retailers need to act differently going forward? And what I mean by that is high end retailers, um, meaning the, the ticket items that they're selling, if they're selling a very high ticket item versus a low ticket item, or maybe they're selling small products that could be shipped, or they're selling large products like we do that are heavy and can't really be shipped via UPS. Do all retailers need to act differently in your opinion, or do you think that they are all kind of need to check the same basic boxes?
1: Well, you know, I've worked with some of the highest luxury brands in the world with half a million dollar necklaces all the way down. I was the CMO of a coffee franchise where it was $4 was the average sale. Hmm. And people love to say, oh, we couldn't or that's not us. Well, that's fine. Hmm. That's not us as Walmart so or Amazon, <laughs> right? They have amazing amounts of data and it's just a numbers game. We know that if we put this on an end cap, it's that. But most stores don't have that traffic and i think you're a feed store isn't that what you, you guys do so Correct. we had a Carina yep. dealer uh joined salesrx my online retail sales training program and they doubled their average ticket and he wow. said i can't believe this worked in a rural farm in florida i'm like dude i'm just teaching you the soft skills of how do we talk to other human beings and he goes yeah but it's all different now i go what's different he goes instead of my customers coming in and like getting it or my guys just shooting crap with them they're actually coming in having discussions they're looking forward to meeting them because they learned it's back and forth they've learned how to talk Mm. in a confident manner so um i think no matter where you are and don't get me started on my railing on luxury brands because i i buy things i go into a lot of luxury stores and i walked into this one luxury store in manhattan in uh in january and I walk in, it's freezing, right? It's a wind chill of like 10 degrees. I walk in and this woman says, can I get you a bottle of water? And I'm like, that was the best. Like of all the things you could say in the world, my friend, I took them off the shelf. There's 3,000. That's the one that's going to make the sale. And I was, I just looked at her like, uh, no. And then she went and she... Stood over and, I mean, stalked over in the corner with her hands behind her back and fell in pose watching me. And I was like, and you think I'm going to buy a $1,000 hoodie with that?
0: I have two guests on this next clip from the company PeopleSpark, which is HR consulting Business And they were talking about some of the pitfalls that small business owners make when hiring uh, people, employees for their business. Being in the retail industry, you are very familiar with having to go through a set of interviews and they give a few, uh, I guess, tips and advice and things for you to be aware of when conducting an interview. One of my favorite phrases of all time comes out of this clip, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil that. Um, Erin is talking about how when you see somebody with the perfect resume and you see somebody that seems like a perfect candidate and you go into the interview already with these preconceived uh, notions that you are going to hire this person because the resume was so great, and she calls that a rush crush. Uh, one of my favorite sayings to, uh, that I use with my managers now is not to get a rush crush on a candidate to make sure that it actually feels right uh, and, and go through the interview process the same with every single candidate. I hope you enjoy this clip about hiring candidates. How do you know when you, when you want to hire somebody? How do you, is there, mm. what if you have a weird feeling, but you don't know what it was? What if you have, what is, what is kind of a gut instinct or, or how do you do that?
2: So keep asking the questions, get through some of your information. Sometimes it's easy to get, um, I used this term last week and I got laughed at, but whatever. Um, you get a rush crush on a candidate and you're like, <laughs> they're going to be wonderful. Cause their resume <laughs> seems so perfect. Yeah. Like and they then they're really personable. In yeah. And so but get through the interview guide, stay on script. Um, and and what I love with that too is when you're using even behavioral based questions. So these are the cringe worthy sometimes, tell me about a time when what you're trying to draw out is the actual experience somebody has had in in that particular skill or situation before because when you ask questions from more of the hypothetical like what would you do or what should you do people know what they should do i know know that there's several things i should do that doesn't mean that that's what i have done uh so we want to we want to get that information from there but i love using star um as my framework for listening to a candidate's interview answers and it's a framework that's that has been taught, and I learned it years ago, in prepping as a candidate for behavioral-based interviews. And it stands for situation or task. So in this question, tell me about a time you had to work with someone you didn't like. What was the situation or task? What action did I take? And then what happened as a result? And so for me, as somebody who thinks out loud um, a lot and can talk in circles, it's a good way to keep me on task in an interview. But I love it on the side of the interviewer because it keeps my follow-up questions very, uh, very tight and very connected to the question that I actually want to know the information about. And the follow-up questions are always the same. What was the situation or task? What was the action that you took and what happened as a result? And wherever I don't have one of those areas, I go back and i that's my follow-up question. Oh, so Steve, I heard this. So what actions did you take? What was the result of that? And so it gives you that framework for it. And I've been disappointed by candidates that I really wanted to hire um, when I we applied that and when I've used that in framing up how they were answering those questions. And so the more you can do to your question of staying on task with what is the behavior, what is the experience I'm looking for, and making sure that you get all of the good stuff. Because sometimes people give you a really great answer. And then when you dig further, because you didn't get all the elements of STAR, you'll find out that they actually played a very minimal role on that team or in that experience. And it it isn't as good as you thought.
0: And talking about that rush crush, I've, I've legitimately caught myself. (laughs) So they have like a perfect resume. They have a whatever degree they worked in your industry for this many years, blah, blah, blah. I've literally caught myself. Like you were talking about, um, like framing up questions for them to just like slam dunk it. And they're like, not, and I'm like, oh, please, you know, I'll be like, so tell yes. me about, you know, when you, you know, why did you quit your last job and they start trashing their boss or whatever? I'm like, but he was probably, you know, like, you know. please don't do that. Cause that shows that, you you know, or whatever. <laughs> and so I've actually caught myself like cutting them off or whatever. Like, oh, right, right. right. I understand what you're saying. And it's just me and them in the interview. I don't know why I do it, but it's just like, please don't say that, you know, or whatever. Oh,
2: that is such good self-awareness though, right? Where you are like, okay. <laughs> I so, I so much want them to succeed. I'm noticing that I'm doing this.
0: Yeah. It's so sad, but I've caught myself doing that several times. Um, That
2: means you're human. (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah. That's the (laughs) hardest thing to do in interviews is just be quiet. It's incredible what people tell you. you Just hush. (laughs) Mike Michalowicz is a New York times bestselling author and has sold millions of copies of books about business. He also clearly runs a very successful business himself. And on this episode, we talked about marketing. In this clip, particularly, we are talking about how some small business owners once they have this desire to start marketing and in earlier in the episode, you couldn't hear this part, but earlier in the episode, he was talking about how you need to get over the fact that you don't want to sell your certain products in your business and that you need to have this obligation, this sense of responsibility that, man, my products, the, the things that I sell, the, the, things that I do in my retail business are important for people to have. I am the best option for these customers and how you need to have a sense of responsibility to market. So I framed that uh, thing that we were talking about, about this responsibility to market and talked about how, what if someone doesn't have the funds to actually do certain types of marketing? What if you don't have money to run Facebook ads? What if y'all have money to run a commercial or billboard or whatever it might be? And this whole episode was talking about his book, which was Get Different Marketing and how marketing has to be different from other people. And he gives a few crazy ideas here in this clip about getting different marketing with Mike one And they're like, hey you know what, he's right, I I do have a, a responsibility to take this product and 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 get it to the masses, but somebody just doesn't have the money to
3: market, to advertise, what would you say to that person? Oh, thank God you don't have the money, you got a chance now. My, money goes after the obvious. You know, if you had hundreds or thousands of dollars, you may hear, you know, run Facebook ads, that's what everyone's doing. Money goes often to where the best practices are, And uh, there's a sad lie that's perpetuated that if your marketing isn't working, you haven't done enough of it yet. And so we're like, well, I didn't get those Facebook conversions. Maybe I need to do it in a bigger way. And uh, sometimes it's the case, but rarely is that the case. Most often it's that we're blended in that we've hit this thing called habituation in the prospect's mind, meaning I've seen that, hey, friend before. (laughs) I don't need it. So when you don't have money, you're forced to do different. Uh, I've actually now written up a hundred different ideas that cost nothing or, or near nothing i'll give you an example one thing i did is i observed what my contemporaries were doing other authors and i saw that everyone does an email blast you know uh, white background black text maybe there's a picture in there by my book so i'm like okay if everyone's doing black on white what if i was the first guy to do white on white aka invisible so i sent out an email it was white text white background there was a one line in there that you could read in black text that said this may be the first ever invisible ink email you've received. Click and drag below to highlight your message. Get out of here! And uh, you'd highlight it, and sure enough, it would pop it on the screen because now it's it's highlighted over. And that one, the open rates were four times, uh, and the click through rates four times what I've experienced with any of my other emails. And if you think about it, it applied the the dad framework. It was different. How many invisible ink emails do you get? Uh, it was attractive because it invoked curiosity. Maybe it harkens back to when we were children, we used to pass secrets and stuff in school or or use an invisible ink marker to reveal a message. And I had the direct built in there with the message. I told him, here's the action to take now you've seen this, um, to be more engaged with the work I'm doing. And uh, that was wildly successful. That's one idea that would, if you already have an email system, it costs nothing more to just change the text to white. And that's the type of stuff we want to look at. Subtle or, or simple changes that have an extraordinary impact. You got to be careful,
0: giving all this advice, because then if everyone starts doing it, you become not different. So you got to be careful with that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's
3: funny. That's a great point. Steve, So it's funny. Um, I, I, that is one, I have a hundred ideas like that. And uh, many of them using right now. Here's why, uh, I think it's a good idea to give the advice away. First of all, it is shocking how few people do it because it takes courage. We have to get over that devil of being bothersome or I'm not, I don't have enough time being weird. And most people won't get over that. So there's a little threat there to me. The second thing is we're in such a diverse set of businesses. I'm the author doing that. Now, if if other authors do that exact same thing, now I'm compromised. It's 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 washed out. But if someone does it in the welding industry and someone does it in, I don't know, potato farming, it will work in all these categories because it's the first time the client's experienced it. It's the first time they're receiving that, hey, friend. Honestly, hey, friend still works if your community's never seen that before. True. So I put them out there. And uh, sure enough, people will replicate it, but it's gonna take time. And when they do, it simply inspires me to create more.
0: This next clip is from one of my favorite episodes of all time. The owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team, Jesse Cole is talking about how he gets all of the crazy wacky ideas that he has this episode was originally recorded I believe at the end of 2021 and in this clip you'll hear him talk about banana ball and he they were just at the beginning stages of this I think they were about to announce their uh, world tour but he is trying to basically invent a sport and uh, make this Harlem Globetrotter type of environment with his baseball team So in this clip, he talks about how he comes up with these crazy ideas that he has and how failure is not that big of a deal. And also some wise, wise advice about walking through the customer experience and trying to find friction points. This is one of my favorite episodes of all time with Jesse Cole, owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team. Do
4: you know which major league hitter has struck out more than anyone that ever played the game? Which major league hitter has failed more than anyone that's ever played the game?
0: Not sure. I'm not sure, I'm not a staunch baseball guy.
4: Very few people are, but it's what <laughs> Like My point is this guy failed more than anyone. He struck out more than anyone that ever played the game, but he's not known for his strikeouts. He's known for his three home runs in game six of the 1977 World Series. He's known as Mr. October. He's a hall of famer, it's Reggie Jackson my point here is people don't forget your strikeout people people don't don't remember the strikeouts they don't they don't remember them amazon jeff bezos we talk about that one of the greatest innovators of our time how many people are talking about the amazon fire phone today it was a 200 million dollar failure my point is what's your next at bat we fail every day at the ballpark because we're trying so many new things people don't remember the failures And you either have a success or you have a story. If you have a great failure, that's a tremendous story. (laughs) So it's how you look at it. So my point is people are so afraid, but the reality is people are in their own bubble. They're focused on their own things. And a failure is only a big failure if you don't get back up to bat. And most people don't keep coming to bat. They do this big failure and then they're so scared because they failed. They're not going to try anything new. Yes, then people might remember because it's the last thing you did. What are you going to do next? What's the next at bat? So that's how I I challenge people. It's like have so many at bats that you're due to get a hit
0: so you've been you've been written about in multiple articles you've been written about like i was talking about before we started recording in in different books and things like that for your unique branding or your unique customer experience whatever you want to call it and you wouldn't be this obviously well known if it wasn't uh unique and different than everything else but let me ask you this how do you come up with something different because all you can see is what everybody else is doing. How do you how do you specifically come up with different ideas? Do you is it from a cartoon show? Is it from a, a books you read or anything like that? Like how do you how do you come up with with unique things to to do for branding and marketing?
4: Maybe that's due to come. I have two three year olds, but it's not cartoon shows at this point. <laughs> that's that's not, that's not where they're coming from. Um, the greatest ideas come from problems, frustrations, challenges, the greatest ideas come from putting yourself in your customer's shoes. So the greatest ideas for us, the biggest innovate, not the craziest ones, the crazy ones are different, but the biggest ideas, it starts from friction points for your customer. So literally, if you just look at the customer experience that you have in your industry and write down every friction point, every frustration point and every starting point. So for instance, baseball long, slow and boring, huge friction point. So for us, we looked at, all right, what would it take to have nonstop entertainment? How could we have music, the band? How could we have people getting interacting when they're coming to the ballpark? How could our bathrooms have entertainment? And that's why we literally have make and bacon urinal cakes, where our fans <laughs> are actually peeing on our arrival. So you think about all the points which long, slow, and boring and having fun. The next friction point, you go to a stadium, stadium you go to a ballpark, you get nickel and dimed. So you've been there, $5 yeah. for parking, you know, $15, $20 for your ticket three dollars for a program eight dollars for a soda you keep going i said that's a thirty
0: dollars for nachos yeah <laughs> yeah
4: with just <laughs> way too much cheese or way too little cheese they never perfect the amount of cheese that's a whole other story <laughs> but <laughs> so we looked at the friction points there we said well that sucks you know i don't want to keep pulling money out of my pocket every time i have to pull my credit card is a friction point every every pay point is a pain point so if you think about that that's a good story every time someone has to pay how do you make it frictionless or how do you make it remarkable but anyways so what's so why the point that's a friction point. So we said, can we make every ticket all inclusive? So now you come to our game. There's no ticket fees, no convenient fees, no parking fees. You have one ticket includes all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, and dessert, everything for $20 total. So you look at those friction points. And so I think for any industry, you say, all right, you know, in your customer, what, if, what do people don't like about this industry? And what would be the exact opposite of doing that? If they hate, you know, if you think about lawyers being charged every few min- every 15 minutes for an email, you know, if you think about obviously the cab industry and what Uber did, you think about Airbnb, all the biggest innovations come from frustration points. So that's where I challenge everyone to start. And that's where we continue to think about walks are boring in a baseball game. So we developed yeah. a new rule. They're called a sprint. And banana ball on the fourth ball, literally the the, the umpire goes... Ball four, sprint! And the hitter takes off full speed. The catcher has to throw the ball to every position player before it's live. And the hitter's running around. And it's usually a double, maybe a play a third. It turns the most friction boring part of baseball into kind of exciting. And so like we've looked at this at every piece of the experience. And that's how you can really start to innovate.
0: On this next clip, I was interviewing a guest by the name of Ramon Ray. Ramon is a very well-known small business advisor. He was actually an advisor for President Obama. And on this episode, he talked about his book and um, his beliefs around each individual small business owner needing to be a celebrity CEO as he calls it, a celebrity CEO. And what he talks about is how each individual business owner needs to, or in his mind, should use the advantage that they have in being a small business owner and being the face of that business. So this clip is from the later part of that episode where we were talking about the need to build a personal brand being this personal brand revolving around the owner of the business. We talk about a little bit of the fear that you might have in creating these videos for your business. And, and if you are deciding to be the face of your company now, what all that entails, hope you enjoy. Um, Ramon, what is something that, you know, on building a personal brand and, and having this, um, not persona in a fake way, but a persona to, to try to pass that along to other people that this is what you get when you do business with me, what's something that every small business owner should either
5: stop doing right now or start doing right now? It's a great question. I'm not sure what we talked about earlier, but I would say one thing to stop doing is let fear grab you and letting fear uh, prevent you from moving forward. I found that the fear of the unknown, the fear of, of being uncomfortable, the fear of, of no one else is doing this stops many people. I get it. We all want to be safe and secure and not stupid. We don't want to lose money. But if Dave Ramsey talks about, you know, in his Southern draw, and if I'm I'm saying a Southern draw out of respect, all you who have Southern Draws, so allow remote <laughs> to fun. But, you know, I have no problem letting my employees make non-fatal errors. So, <laughs> you know, make non-fatal <laughs> errors. You don't have to lose your business over it. Is that helpful, uh, uh, Yeah. Steve, you know that aspect of non fatal errors, and don't let fear stop you.
0: You mentioning fear, it, it made me think. When I first started doing some videos um, for the the feed industry and stuff like that, um, I started the show called Steve's Horse Show, and I would go interview and and uh, talk to people in the community, and I I felt an overwhelming sense of. Um, Maybe uh, it was doubt, maybe it was um, fear or, or, you know, that self, that self-consciousness. Did you ever have that? Maybe when you started doing videos, I don't know how long ago you started, but, um, you know, when you started getting yourself out in public and your face, your video, your
5: pictures, did you have that? Yes, I did. And I have it now. Meaning, I, I know I speak too fast. That's one. Um, I know sometimes I stumble over my words, that's too, or slur my words, not slur, you know, but like stumble over it because I'm speaking too fast. So I have that now. Uh, but thankfully, by God's grace, that's just one skill I have as well. Since I'm fast, 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 I just do it, do it, do it, do it. Do it. I guess that's why combined with that, it's it's not perfect. The spelling's wrong. There's a book tilted back there who cares? Move on. So if, that, if that's helpful, that's kind of that dual aspect. But yeah, I'm I'm fearful. Will it work? Will anybody show up? My team was saying, Ramo, we need to do more Facebook lives. I'm like, yeah, but that's not our brand doesn't get even 10, 20, 50 people on a Facebook live. Let's not do it. They're like, that's okay. Let's go live if that's helpful. So yeah, sure. I I have so, uh, experienced exactly what you're saying. And I still do. I Being in business a bit longer, sure, a bit more maturity. But I think everybody goes to a little bit of something. And if they say they're not, they're probably lying.
0: Yeah, what would you say to someone that um, maybe puts a picture of their coffee cup, or they put a picture of, you know, the, the plant or the uh, Joe puts a picture of a carpet, a clean carpet that he did. And they say, I don't want to, you know, make a video of myself, people don't care or in deep down, they're self conscious about um, being ridiculed or something like that. What would you say to a person like that to to get them over the hump?
5: Sure, I think understand it's natural. The fear is okay, but for the sake of serving the person who's who's waiting for your information, do it. Danelle Delgado, look her name up, Danelle Delgado. She says, who loses if you don't take action?